Hey guys, welcome back to the Grad Life Podcast. Today we are joined by former professional rugby player and current sales executive at FIS, Connor Gilson, aka the Corporate Panther. Great to have you on the show. Finn, thank you very much for having me. Do you um, want to explain the Corporate Panther to us? That, that nickname is going to haunt me. Um, <laughs> just started at, at FIS and Trying to trying to find my feed, and I'm walking around the office, and people are call, calling me the corporate panther. I haven't done any deals for them yet, so I've got a big reputation to live up to. Where I came from, very simply, I was going through the application process of uh, of the apprentice, and basically, they they're the pretty much the whole experience of getting onto the show was them just trying to catch you out. <laughs> And to say, to say like cheesy one-liners, and they must have asked me ten times to compare myself to an animal um, in business. And I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And then I said, um, my boss has called me a corporate panther a couple of times because I've got a reputation for getting deals done. And yeah, that's that's the headline they went with. Where at the time I was quite worried about it, but you know what? Actually, these things are. You know, you just have to laugh them off and, and uh, take it as a joke. If anything, it shows off your personality. <laughs> I want to start off with your rugby career because you played and captained probably one of the most dominant senior cup sides. There's been, like when you won the cup in 2011, I don't think any team got within sort of 15 points of you. And then you were also on the team says in 10, which again, that, that, t- that team won the senior cup quite convincingly. Going from that then into Leicester Academy, you must have been pretty confident that you would have a pretty good chance of becoming a full-time Leicester player and then eventually becoming an Irish international. Yeah, for definite. That was the that was the ambition, that was the game plan, but it didn't play out that way. I think when I reflect back on my time in school, I was surrounded by a lot of very, very good players and I was exposed to some very, very good coaches. So... And that definitely sets you up very well for success. Like, if we think back to that senior club team that was involved in, Ty Byrne, who's gone on to play with the Lions, with Brian and Ed Byrne, who've both gone pro Eds, played for Ireland. Um, Jordan Coughlin, who went professional. Um, there was myself. Then you had Max McFarland, who's played sevens in Scotland. And then there was loads of really, really good rugby players who were definitely capable of going pro, like David Quirk and Nick McCarthy, but for different reasons didn't. And we also had Noel McNamara, who's you know been the Leinster Academy coach for the last three or four years and has most more recently gone down to the Sharks as their attack coach. So like we were very, very fortunate to be, well, I was very, very fortunate to be surrounded by all those people. And it's easy to look good when you're surrounded by good people. Uh, so that was definitely a big reason for, for why I managed to graduate straight into the academy out of school. And of course, that the game plan was to go on and, and play for Ireland and play for Leinster. It didn't happen. Um, and when I reflect on that, yeah, it's, it's a little bit disappointing. And probably the one when I look back at my career, it's a little bit disappointing, I guess. But I, I don't, I'm, quite, I'm quite an optimistic person, a positive person, so I don't dwell on it too much. But... Yeah, you have to ultimately. That's what you when you go into the academy, you're, you have you have everything at your disposal to be successful and to play for Lens and play for Ireland. That hasn't happened for me. Why, you know, 
multitude of reasons. Uh, injury would be one. Two, I do question sometimes, did I back myself enough? Um, I think I was probably a little bit too nice at times. Um, I look at guys like uh, like Dan, for example. Dan, who's gone on to have an amazing career playing for Ireland and Leinster. And I probably didn't have the same level of self-belief that he did. Um, and maybe that would have hurt me a little bit. But... You, know, you just don't know with these things. Like when I when I left when I left Leinster, I was like, oh, I'll just you know, I'll definitely be coming back. I just need to get some game time, prove that I can get fit. But yeah, didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, That's interesting that you mentioned that about self belief because as I as I went through there, like you you were on one of the best senior cup rugby teams there's been, and you were one of the main players for that team. Like. From an outsider looking in, you would think you would have a huge amount of belief and confidence going into the academy that you can make a real dent at it and become a pro. Why do you think you were lacking self-belief? And had you have had more self-belief going in, what would you have done differently? It wasn't so. I wouldn't maybe self-belief wouldn't be the right term for it. I maybe arguably just didn't. I paid everyone a little bit too much respect ahead of me. Um, you know, it's, I think. We hear stories of when Sean O'Brien was uh, was coming up through the ranks. Like he ruffled a lot of feathers in training. He wasn't afraid to upset the people who was wearing a jersey ahead of him. Whereas I, I was very very respectful of everyone that was in front of me, and, and maybe I could have been a little bit more um, confrontational and try to be a little bit more demanding of what I wanted. But I don't know. This is this is all in hindsight, and it's also a long time ago. So. Um, it's it's difficult to, to say for sure, but yeah, I remember I remember thinking like when I, when I left Leinster, one of the big learnings that I had was like once I go over here to London Irish, like you need to start believing that you you should be a first team player and you should be starting, and that don't be afraid to, to you know to go after what you want, rather than kind of tiptoe around it, which I probably did a little bit too much in my final year and couple my final two years in the academy at Leinster. What's that process like going from playing school to rugby to being in the academy and playing against guys or playing with guys that you've grown up watching? Yeah, I remember on the first day, uh, you know, I was a massive uh, Leinster fan when I was in school. Like, absolutely loved it. And um, going in the first day and you're meeting people like Brian O'Driscoll and Sean O'Brien and Leo Cullen. Uh, and they're all like shaking their hands, introducing themselves. And you're like, no, you're like, you don't need to introduce yourself. I know exactly who you are. I've watched you play for the last five, five six, seven years. So that was, that was surreal. And you, you are walking around with a bit of imposter, imposter syndrome, thinking, how the hell am I here? And you're just doing everything you can to, to, to fit in and to, to make it, to give a good account of yourself. But it's 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 super, you know, it's very motivating being around those types of people and learning how they do things and getting to see them on a day-to-day basis. I think it's an amazing place to learn. And I'm sure like they've continued to be successful. I'm sure that's still the same case. It's just it's different role models. It's the likes of Ty Furlong, Luke McGrath, um, James Ryan, these guys, you know, I'm sure it's pretty surreal for the guys coming in first year academy. Um, rubbing shoulders with these guys every day at work so it was 
it was it was a bit surreal, but uh, you know, I was I loved every second of it. I was very very proud to call myself you know an academy player at Leinster, and um, I think I, I I applied myself really well there. I learned a lot, and I still you know it's funny when I think back to my rugby career, even though it's only been eighteen months since I finished. A lot of the stuff, a lot of the problems I used to try and solve when I was a senior player at London Irish, I used to think back to um, my time at Leinster because it's such a good grounding and it's such a brilliant academy and so did London Irish, by the way. But it's just the early habits you learn in your career. It's you kind of when you're, you hit a bit of a, a crossroads or a tough patch in your career, you kind of resort back to what you learned initially or what's worked for you in the past. And a lot of the kind of blockers I hit in my career in London Irish, I'd always kind of go back to the things that I learned in the academy in Leinster. And interestingly, I've recently joined FIS, which is a you know it's a Fortune 500 company, you know, blue chip, massive organisation with with lots of very skilled people there. And there's a there's a brilliant onboarding and sales training program there. And that was a big influence in me deciding to go down that route because. I'm early on in my career now. I need to I need to get a good grounding and a good understanding of what good looks like. And so far, you know, it's been brilliant in that sense that like, you know, I'm getting sales training from guys who are 10, 20 years experience. Um, and I've been putting into deals with super experienced guys who are selling to some of the biggest organizations in the world. So like this is really good exposure for me to learn to know what good looks like and that's that's something i've taken with me from my time at leinster talk us through your decision then to leave ireland and go to london irish was that a difficult decision to make <clears throat> yeah so i didn't really have an option to be totally honest <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's one kind of like interesting thing that happened in my career <laughs> Well, I would say it's interesting. It's probably not anyone else. But when I was in my third year academy, uh, so just to give you an overview of my time when I was in the academy. So first year, I came out of school, um, didn't pl- played a little bit of Leinster. I felt like I made a good impression around the club. Um, so I was like a hard worker and a good professional, and someone who had good potential. Uh, played a couple of times at Leinster A and done quite well. But the, the majority of my season was made up of playing for the Irish 20s. And that was brilliant exposure for me. Like it's it's one of the most enjoyable years I've ever had playing rugby. Um, I made some great friends. I'm still very friendly with most of the guys that I played on that team with. And we were quite we had quite a good team as well. We um we came up short in the last game of the Six Nations. We were on for a grand slam and then we lost this. we beat South Africa, who were the hosts in the twenties World Cup, and then they went on to win the tournament. So we were like we were we were a pretty good outfit. And my second year I played quite a lot with UCD. Um, played a lot more with Leinster A and we won the tournament that, that year as well the, the Leinster A tournament but I still hadn't managed to, to break sure get any caps for the first team and then the start of my third season I had a really good pre-season and then I think it was kind of like towards the end of pre-season or the start of the season and I felt like I was in good stead to graduate into the into the first team and an opportunity came knocking to, to go down to Connacht and play some first team rugby because they had like an injury crisis at open side. And the plan at the time was to go down there, get game time on the pretense that I would sign a contract with Leinster for the following season. So I'm going brilliant. This is my break. 
I'd go get first team experience and then come back to the club I loved and the club I've always wanted to play for. And I think it was all looking rosy. Leinster were on board for it. Uh, Connick were keen to get me down the following week. And then that weekend, I think Jordy Murphy and Shane Jennings both picked up like medium term injuries, kind of like six or eight week injuries. And as a result, they were like, you can't go, you know, we're going to be short staffed at open side. So just hang around with that, that development contract. They'll be here for your next season. So I hung around, never got a, a crack at playing first team while the guys were injured. And then <laughs> a couple of weeks later, I ended up getting injured and then uh, that contract was no longer there for me. So what felt like I was like, right, this is amazing. This is the perfect outcome to a three-year apprenticeship in the academy. Um, ended up being nothing there. And as a result, I ended up going down to Connacht at the end of that season on loan. Played a little bit of first team rugby, but... There wasn't a deal there for me either. So I had to go to market and, and the only the, the best option at the time was to was to go to London Irish. So that's how it came about. And in actually in retrospect in in hindsight, it was probably a brilliant it was a brilliant move for me. And I'm very, very grateful it happened because well the goal well, the ultimate goal when I set out to play professional rugby was to play for Leinster in Ireland. You know, the path is never straightforward and not everyone gets what they want, right? But to move to a club like London Irish, who I had like a a connection with because of my Irish roots, it's a brilliant club. I was moving to an amazing city and I got to play there for six years, top flight rugby. It, it, and I believe it's it set me up really well for what I wanted to pursue afterwards. It, well, at the time, I, did, I was pretty upset and it wasn't what I wanted. Um, I think in the long run, it's probably been um, a blessing in disguise for me. What was the lowest point in your rugby career? Um, what was the lowest point in my rugby career? Probably, yeah, it's got like, I've, I've finished prematurely because of injury, right? Because I had to finish because of concussion. And... That was tough to take. You know, I, I was injured for quite a while. I was injured for I think six or eight months before the doctor said to me, you know, I don't think it's a good idea you go back. So you kind of, once you get a bad head injury and you're having the problems that I had, you kind of knew there was always a chance that, that that meeting might come with the with the specialist. But you do, you're like, how, how is this finishing so abruptly? And it, it, was, it was a difficult pill to swallow, but... It, it, ultimately it, it comes to an end for everyone and there's very very few people who it finishes on a high note for them like you know the the vast majority of guys they either they finish up with an injury they finish up because no clubs want them anymore or the options that are presented to them are not that desirable like not everyone can finish playing at the club that they um, on their terms at the club that they want to be playing with, right? So it it wasn't the perfect ending, but you know, I, like I said, I, I was really really happy at London Irish. I was looked after really really well, and you know, I I I, I played the sport that I set out to play, my dream job when I was a teenager for nine years. So um, it wasn't a bad outcome. What was the highest point of your career? 
probably it's probably like a little bit sad to think that like nothing is jumping out at me um because we didn't i didn't go on win and win like uh premiership titles or european titles or i didn't play for ireland so there's nothing jumping out at me the two pieces of senior silverware i won were were championships with London irish um, and you know we would have been expected to win those tournaments because um you're you come down from a, a league above and you're you're very well funded in comparison to the rest of the league so the expectation is that you win these things <clears throat> I, I i like i really enjoyed those years because winning rugby games with with your teammates is a lot of fun and we won the vast majority of our games and then the celebrations at the end of the season to get back up into the league that you vote that you want you you need to be playing and they're all they're really fond memories so they were good times i really enjoyed playing under under um a head coach called nick kennedy and, and brendan venter was above him they were like it was a young enthusiastic bunch of coaches who um who really valued what would you call it like like work ethic and a good atmosphere around the changing room like they created a really good atmosphere around the place where the teammates were very good to each other and um it came at a time when it was badly needed because the previous season we we'd had a really tough year we kind of went we got relegated unexpectedly and it was it was it was a good year and it, I, I guess on a personal level you know those coaches trusted me a lot like i i ended up being captain on a few occasions that season so when when a leader when a coach or a, a manager and work you know instills their faith in you you're always going to feel um a high sense of a high sense of um what's the word i'm looking for here <clears throat> i guess you're, you're going to feel wanted and you're going to feel valued and then as a result of it, you, you, you attach fond memories to that because that's what everyone strives for, right? So they, they would have been high moments of a career. Like I said, I really enjoyed that year playing under 20s. You know, we, we went to South Africa for the World Cup. We went on a good run in the Six Nations. Uh, Mike Ruddock was the head coach then. He was, um, he was a really, really good man. He created a really good environment. And then my first season at London Irish was great. You know, I'd come from a pretty brutal year the year before I was injured for a lot I had the disappointment of not getting kept on by Leinster Connacht and then I came over to London and I was uh I was like a deer in the headlights experiencing in experience in London all meeting all these new people um getting to grips with with senior rugby at London Irish and I played 21 times that season and played in a lot of the, the big games after Christmas so I remember having a really positive outlook uh, on on life and my rugby career at that stage and it was uh, it was a lot of fun when you're playing and, and you're picking up so many knocks you must be getting worried it's Inju- injuries are brutal it's probably one of the hardest parts of the game you yeah that's one that's one of the hardest there, there, there's a lot of stuff with rugby that like people you know, people who are involved in rugby get it, but a lot of people who, who aren't involved don't get it, is that it's it's a it's a really like there are elements of it that are incredibly challenging, like injuries are one. 
and for some people they happen quite frequently so it's a constantly getting set back on that front selection is another one like I that was I never quite cracked it as like an out now first team player someone who was the first name on the team sheet every week <clears throat> so you're, you're kind of being told every other week you're not you're not up to it and, and that's a challenge and then when you step away from the game and you want to go hang out with your friends, your family to get a bit of downtime and you're not in the mix, but you're fit. They're like, why aren't you playing? And, you know, they're just being nice. They're trying to take an interest in your career. But you're, you're, you're being evaluated by them all the time. And then <clears throat> there's contract worries, right? Because it's like you're going from contract to contract um, and, you know, being composed and relaxed while these things are going on is is a challenge so you, they're all like very very difficult things that you have to, to manage when when you're playing but on the flip side of it the positive when, when things are good playing rugby it, it, it can't be beaten right when you're fit and you're you're in the team and your team are winning um it's it's kind of a feeling that I would imagine it's very very difficult to replicate in any other career I'm only 18 months into my new career right so I can't I can't offer too much too much uh, judgment on that, but when I think back to when things were good and you know, you're, like I said, you're playing and you're in contract and your team are winning, it's 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 a brilliant feeling. Injury is one thing that I really, really empathise with uh, with players for because if you go through a period where you're playing super well, especially with the with the way your career was, say you might've gone through a period at Leinster playing really well. And then all of a sudden you've picked up an injury. Not only are you out for eight months, if I was in that position, I would just be so paranoid about the guy that's coming up behind me that then he's going to get eight months worth of game time and could so easily overtake me. And you'd probably be paranoid. Are you going to come back as the same player? Is your man going to take my place? What sort of techniques, if you had any, did you try to implement to stay positive during injuries? Because they must be devastating, especially when you've had so many and you've managed to put a bit of form together and then you're back to square one. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that situation you're saying. And I felt like every time I started to make any headway, like putting together a string of games and getting continuously selected, I always seem to get an injury setback. So incredibly frustrating. How, how do you deal with it? I was quite fortunate, like I always had a, a good network of friends outside of rugby and, um, you know, you, you, you like I, a fiance Meg and my family, so, and I, I was never too far away from home, like I was either in London or in Dublin, or in Dublin. so when things weren't, you know, when you're not, when you're injured and you're like on the physio table and doing your own rehab and you're kind of a little bit outside of the the usual routine and the the main group of players schedule i've always had this this outlet of like kind of getting away from it quite seamlessly um which helped a lot because you know you could see guys who come over from new zealand or australia or staffka and they they come over to set up their lives in in london to play rugby and their only really social outlet is the rugby team. But if things aren't going well on that front, it's kind of difficult to escape it. So that that was definitely a, a massive help. I was also very pro 
still with my career outside of rugby while I was playing. So, you know, if you're not able to get those those small wins or your your morale boosts from playing and training and being in contention and progressing the way you want to progress, well, when you get your rehab done, go home, you know, work on your side project, be that the degree, be that the business that you're involved in, the work experience, and then you get your fulfillment out of that. Um, and that's something that, you know, I'm even... I'm trying to like implement now because it, I think it's very nice to have balance and to have options. Like I'm working really, really hard on my, my current job and I want to be an expert in that as soon as possible. But I've also got a, a side business, which is a mobile bar and um, I take a great, I, I, I keep fit. So all, you have all these other little side things that like if one thing isn't going particularly well for you well then what else have you got going in your life where you can go and get wins from and can make yourself feel better about things um so i think like having um a diverse portfolio of of who you are you know not just siloing yourself into one thing is very very important and um it's something that stood me in good stead because I was injured a lot when I played and um, I'm, I'm trying to like replicate it in my, in my life now too. Last question on rugby is one I always enjoy asking any ex-athlete is top three players you played with and then if you give me the best player you played against and a brief reason why on each one. So the one that jumps out for me uh, in terms of players that I played with, is a guy called Afisa Trevoranis. Um, he's the Simone captain, a number eight. Um, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Like he's like a gentle giant, but when it comes to the rugby pitch, he was just um, a different level of dynamic. I'd never really experienced anything like it. He used to like run over some of the biggest hitters in the in the Premiership week after week. Never got his role wrong. Um, on the pitch and just rarely made mistakes. He was one of these guys who were standing start. He could just generate so much power, get guys out of his way. And when he hit, it was always a car crash. So he was someone that always, when he was fit and and playing well, if I, if I was in the side, if I was playing six or seven and he was at number eight, he knew he had um, a good chance of winning most of the time. He was brilliant. Um, another guy who was a very close friend of mine uh, who was amazing for London Irish Alex Simington um, who's, who's gone on to, to do great things at Saracens now but you know when I played at Irish we we weren't the best attacking outfit in the world we had to create a lot of scoring opportunities from nothing and he was one of those guys who kind of wouldn't be getting the ball in the best of platforms and you know he kind of beat three four defenders and score tries to keep us in games a lot of the time it was pretty incredible to watch um he be another guy that um you know i think back was someone that was always pretty pretty impressive and then any lancer players going to make it in <clears throat> yeah like there's so many, right? Like, uh, when I when I'm trying to think, when I was back at under twenties, you know, Ty Ty Furlong was just incredible, but he was injured a lot of the time when I played with him. Um, 
but every time he played, he, you know, he wouldn't even need, he could be out for like three or four months with a shoulder injury and he'd come back and he'd just be so destructive in the scrum. One of those guys similar to Trevor, Trev, from my memory, he never made mistakes, always got his role right. And any time he was around the ball, he seemed to show up with a big moment, which is, you know, he still does that playing for Ireland. Um yeah, and then Paddy, Paddy, really, really good as well, an under twenties level, and he's he's done excellent things um, for London Irish as well. I think he's probably been their best signing over the last four or five years. He's given a lot of stability at ten, um, and you know Irish are starting to progress up the table now. They're very comfortably a mid-table team. They're going to be competing for top four hopefully this season, and I think a big part of that is is the the stability and the consistency he's given them. Um, so yeah, there's some of the guys. I'm forgetting loads there. Like there's one guy, Scott Steele, who I played with, who was just an awesome teammate, and like he was brilliant to play with. He so um, played with a lot of passion, was excellent over the ball for a nine, um, and he's gone on to do great things with Scotland and, and Harlequins. But you, you can spend all day trying to name all the great players you've played with. Like that's. So I'm going to put you on the spot again. If you could pick out one as the best you played against, one person that just really stood out. Um, I I played against Saracens quite a few. Well, yeah, the two, a couple of times I played against Saracens, uh, I just remember Vinopola being an absolute nightmare. Um, and I was quite a young guy at the time playing open side flanker, and my job was to try and was to try and neutralise it, but I didn't do a job it. <laughs> I think I just hurt myself. But yeah, Premiership is it's such a good league. Like uh, I know the United Rugby Championship is brilliant as well, but all the teams play all their internationals all the time, and there's just it's such a physical league, and the stadiums are always heaving and. Um, I'm very, very glad I got to experience it. But yeah, like every week you're you'd never like look up against the team you're playing against and you'd be like, all right, they're not really fully loaded here. Like there's just every game you play your best outfit and um it's always incredibly confrontational and physical. We'll move on to uh the next kind of phase <laughs> that you're in now. So talk us through what it was like then retiring and moving on to the next phase of your career, which probably July or August, maybe the following 2020 that I decided to, or I didn't decide, the doctors decided to, to tell me to call it quits. <clears throat> so what did I do then? I kind of like, you know, it takes a little while to process that. And uh, myself and my fiance, Megan, were, were both in between jobs at the time. So we rented a camper van and flew into Milan just as the travel restrictions were lifted and drove from Milan down to the, the south of France, went to Nice, went through the Gorge de Verdun, done all the wine country, Perpignan, Marseille, done that for like a month. Um, and that was a brilliant way to kind of, to reset and think about what I wanted to do with myself. <clears throat> and almost in a way, like it's, I think it's important, like I, I'd set out when I was younger to be a professional rugby player and I'd done it for nine years. So like, I think it's important to mark that and to kind of celebrate it in a way. I can't remember where I read that or who told me to do that, but it's, yeah. So I, that was kind of like, I, I had a, 
while it was taken out of my hands, my my career, and it wasn't the way I wanted to finish it, you know, I still felt like it was important to market in a positive way. And that kind of felt like that was the case. So I went away, enjoyed myself at Meg. We had an amazing time um, on that trip. Like, I'm not sure if I'd do the camper van thing again. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, not, it's, far, it's far from luxury, but I was, if I was to give anyone any tips, like I'd rent a car and, and, and get yourself a, a tent. And if you want to do the campsites, just stay in the tents, but then go from Airbnb or to hostels is definitely a better way of doing things. <clears throat> so we'd done that for a few months. And then I came back and I reached out to like a young, ambitious entrepreneur uh, called Lean Channels, who, you know, played rugby when he was younger and kind of done quite a few things in the tech world. I was like, he seems like a guy who'd be, you know, good to speak to. And I told him about my situation and it was, it was really well timed because he had just set up his own company called Detect It and was like, look, um, so this company, I've got a really good team around me. I've got funding. Um, if you're interested, like we're looking for salespeople. So it could be a good opportunity to cut your teeth um, in the real world. And I, it, it felt like a right thing to do at the time. And as it transpired, it definitely was. Um, he, he's a very determined and quite an impressive sales guy. So he kind of took me under his wing, taught me pretty much everything. He knew he was very generous with his time and... Um, show me his skills and it was great exposure for me i just basically was given a laptop and said this is your target audience go book as many meetings as you can he'll jump on the meetings with you and then once you're up to speed you can start taking the meetings yourself and that's i done that for for nine months and i got a really good feel for what it was like to to sell software um he like i said he was a very experienced sales operator and then they had a an amazing CTO called Pete Ewell, who um, I just learned so much. Like you're in these product meetings, kind of learning how to build out the product and where we want to take it and trying to meet customer needs. You're getting that like business development experience where you're just, you know, it's just, it's a grind. You're just sending 30 messages a day. You're trying to get creative about how you get into these people, be it sending, um, you know, these recorded, personalized recorded videos or you're sending like LinkedIn messages or it's an email or if you can manage to get a hold of their phone, you're calling them, asking for personal introductions. So yeah, you're just trying to like get creative about generating these leads and then and then you're getting the actual, you know, the actual sales exec experience because you're then taking them through the sales cycle. So I got a really well-rounded experience of what it was like to be a, to, to be inside a tech startup and to how to sell software. And that's gave me a really good start to, to my new career. Um, and then the opportunity came about to, <clears throat> to go on The Apprentice. And yeah, I kind of, it was weird because I- before, before we jump into that, can you just talk us about the application process and, and how that opportunity came about? Yeah, I basically had spoken to um, a friend of, of Megan who's, who works in TV. And, you know, I just, I think we might even be watching an episode of it together. I can't really remember. But I was just like, oh, that looks like a lot of fun. I've always been a massive fan of the show. She was like, you should definitely apply for it. Um, 
they're always looking for for good sports people and I kind of thought given my background I've been an ex-athlete and every year they've got like a they've got an Irish person on the show and they've got an ex-athlete on the show so I was kind of thinking oh probably kill two birds at one stone with me so <laughs> I, I, if I throw my name in the hat I get through it so yeah I threw my name in the hat for that um and when it came the opportunity came back around it wasn't as it didn't wasn't an easy decision because I was enjoying my job at the time and I felt like my career kind of started so I didn't really need to to do the apprentice but I went home then to think of when they offered me my place and I went home to Mullingar and just spent the weekend with my parents and turned my phone off and wrote down a list of pros and cons and was like ultimately it just felt like it'd be a decision that I would regret if I didn't do and um, I felt like you know the upside I was always going to set up the business which was the mobile bar with um, with Topsy with Topsy Ojo my business partner so I knew at the very least I would get some exposure from that you know and if you go well in the in the in the process you know you you get like a platform to promote your own business but then any other future um any other future ventures you decide to pursue in the future so it, it was that's how it came about the the application process was pretty grueling um, I think 60,000 people apply for it every year approximately so they've got a lot of people to get through it's do you think they choose people some I'm sure are picked purely based on merit and quality uh, and I'd very much put yourself in that in that bracket. <laughs> this isn't involved but you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but do you reckon some are just, do you think some are picked purely not purely, but with the quality they can add to TV and they might be willing to overlook other contestants that could be better business people because this person could just come across more entertaining on screen? Yeah, for sure. Like it's it's entertainment at the end of the day. And like um so look, undoubtedly there 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 are some people in there that are there to add spice and to give um that theatrical kind of or more yeah that theatrical <laughs> I was I was enjoying it like it was it was a brilliant challenge like and I think there's so some people are so critical of it and you know fair enough but for me it was just a fun experience like to get to see how these big shows are run and one thing I will take from it is that like when you watch other kind of reality type TV shows, you I would be a lot more empathetic towards the people who are doing it because I understand what's happening in the background now with the with the producers and the constraints and the the way they've been they've been pulled in different directions. So um, it, it it was really really hard and and also like the the challenges on it. Tough, like you know, to create a marketing campaign for a, a cruise liner in forty-eight hours is is no mean feat, and and then to pitch it to all these experts, um, with a group of people that you've never worked with before, with all different ideas, is is hard. And then the the, the second task that I was involved in, creating a toothbrush from scratch and an app, um, and we'd done that in twenty-four hours, so it was. It was hard. It was really, really hard, but um, it was it was it was enjoyable at the same time. I found your post on LinkedIn quite interesting when you said 
having watched the show and been a fan of it, you always felt you could go on and, and make a de- decent stint at it. I would have a similar opinion to that where you watch it and it does look quite easy on screen and you kind of think a lot of the time it feels like towards the end the candidates get really strong, but providing you just don't fuck up at the start and just try stay there to like the kind of final five or six, that's when you try like really stand out and do well. What was it that surprised you about The Apprentice? You kind of outlined a few things there. Was there anything else that when you got there, you were like, oh, this is way harder than I thought it would be and nowhere near as easy as it, as it looks on screen? Yeah, like I, I went there with a, with, a, with a plan to sit back and, you know, play, play a kind of a, a low-profile character at the start and, like I said, try to navigate your way through it cleverly so that you don't, make any decisions that would, would be fatal and and then they throw it like you, you do the first task and it was just a car crash it was it was yeah it was it was just a mess and then and then it gets quite like brutal because someone goes home and everyone's made big sacrifices to be there and you see people getting um you know obviously people are very disappointed when they leave so so then it's not really in my nature when things aren't going well to just sit back and let it happen. So then for a second task, even though I didn't really have, I didn't have any kids for starters. And I said I had app experience, but it was very different to creating an app for a kid's toothbrush. But yeah, I just kind of felt like, look, I'm, I'm not one of these guys when things aren't going well but to just sit back and let it happen. And so I felt that if I put my... If I put myself forward in a leadership position, I have lots of experience of, of being in leadership positions from rugby. And if I could maybe like apply some of the the leadership and teamwork skills that I'd learned from from rugby and from working in detective in a positive light, that the outcome might have been different second time around and second task. And in actual fact, it definitely did work a lot better. Like I'm not saying that was maybe just down to me. It was probably a, an element of everyone kind of getting to grips with the process and been a bit more comfortable with what was going on but it was we didn't argue as much you know we got to a, an okay product at the end of it it would just <clears throat> end up losing to the girls and then we had the the calamity that was the product that looked like a third and then I've called the wizard whiffy so um yeah like the, it's one the kind of the, the days are very demanding for starters like that day we created the toothbrush was a 22 hour day like we got up at half four and we got to bed at 2 30 and then you can't really sleep because you're pretty pumped up with adrenaline and you're thinking what's tomorrow going to throw at me because you just don't like they literally throw this stuff at you first thing in the morning um so you're you're running on adrenaline for most of it and and the days are really hard and like every corner you turn it's just like it's something that you probably haven't done before and it's it's a new challenge for you so you're doing something totally new um on tv in front of however many million people <laughs> and you know you're going to be critiqued to the to the very last moment or the very last action that you do so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of different things in there that kind of took me by surprise. But I'm actually glad I got to experience it. Like I said, it's. I think everything and what every experience in life you learn from it, right? Like, well, I wouldn't say I took many business learnings from it. I definitely took some life experience from it. 
what's the atmosphere like there and the relationships between people? Because it seems to incentivize a lot of backstabbing. Like I remember watching the first episode and one of the girls was throwing one of the, under girl, one of the other girls under the bus and they're just going at each other, like really bitchy stuff. And then Lord Sugar goes, right, you guys have won. And then next thing is just all forgotten. The girls are all like screaming and hugging and hugging each other. What was that like? I didn't. I didn't see you get. Actually, you did. When you got fired, you got really thrown under the bus by by the team leader. So, what was that like? Not only just for yourself, but even just to witness that kind of atmosphere where these people are teammates, but then when it comes to being in the boardroom with Lord Sugar, they are incentivized to throw their teammates under the bus. Yeah, the closest analogy i can use to it is um i can compare to is have you watched squid games on netflix i i haven't yeah so uh, squid games Netflix is, is um it's a group of people that the random people that don't know each other by and large and they pull them off the street to win this obscene amount of money and a lot of them are kind of in financial difficulty in one way or another and they pull them off the street and they go in and they play all these like these kids games and they go into these games blind and a lot of them never played the games before. Some of them might have played them when they were younger, but basically loads of people, um, loads of people get killed in the tasks. And then when they're not on task, they're all just kind of in this big dorm and it's this weird social experiment where they're trying to make alloys, but ultimately it's survival of the fittest and whoever's the last person standing wins all the money. And I remember watching it. I was after when the apprentice been like, it's actually insane. The similarities here. <laughs> you're, going, you're going into all these, these tasks blind, right? You are, you're going in blind. You're doing them with people you've never met before from all these different backgrounds and everyone's got different skill sets. And at the end of each task, somebody goes and then some of the tasks, two or three people go. And then when you're not on task, you're back in this, this amazing house in London and you're getting to know everyone and it's a bit of fun, but then the back of your head, you're like, I wonder is, does this person have the minerals to throw me under the bus or what are they capable of when it gets down to business? And it kind of happened to me because the guy who was the team leader, Aaron, I got on very well with the first task. And I was like, geez, I'm, I'm building a nice bond here, I think. Um, you know, we'll we get on well together. But yeah, when it came down to it then, you know, he was very much um, you know, looking after himself, which is kind of understandable, I guess. It probably, that's the sword I perished on a little bit. I was probably a little bit too trusting of everyone around me. Um yeah that's i can't even remember what the question was it went on a bit of a tangent there no it was a great answer and could you sense that when you're there could you sense people having potentially a public face and a private face <laughs> yeah like it's, it's very difficult to, like it's almost impossible to be relaxed in there because the production team are masters of creating high pressurized situations and um you know uh, entertaining tv which means that it's it's not so entertaining for us right so you're gonna be the one um you're gonna be the one who's who's maybe not looking so good on the other side of it so yeah it's very difficult to be relaxed and to smile the whole way through it but there were some moments where 
you know, I did really enjoy it. Like I remember on the second task with myself, Alex and Aaron were, were pitching to these high street retailers and big medical companies. And it was a lot of fun. Like we were flying around London in the back of Viano, pitching to these like major companies and been put under a lot of pressure by them. But at the time thought we were doing a pretty good job of navigating through it. Um, so yeah, they, that was, they were like fun, fun times, but, uh, and, and guys are, you know, where you're in, you're in a state of flow because you don't have your phone. You're not distracted by anything. You're just thinking, what's my next job? Like, how do I navigate through this? Um, so that was something I really, really enjoyed. Kind of reminded me a little bit of when I was like playing, you know, like the morning, you kind of turn your phone off the morning of a game and you're visualizing what it's going to be like. And then you get into the changing room and everyone's in a state of focus. And um, it's a real kind of adrenaline rush and a buzz. And that was kind of, it kind of did replicate it in some ways because everyone is so focused. They're trying to like, as I've already alluded to, like there's a lot of stuff you're trying to navigate through. And it kind of replicated that for me. But then the day that we got, I was only in the house for one day um, on a down day. And that was actually quite nice because like I said, people took their business hats off. You got to know them in a, in a kind of social environment. And um, we're not actually allowed to talk to each other since we've come out due to contracts and stuff. But I do envisage myself being friendly with some of these people once it's all said and done. Because um, there are some really good people in there and some really credible business people who I'm sure will go on to have very successful careers. <clears throat> but yeah, I did, like I said, I was in there for such a short period of time. I didn't have a massive amount of time to bond with people and get to know them that well. What's it like being fired by Lord Sugar? It looks like one of the most intense and just unpleasant experiences is as bad as it looks on camera. Um, yeah, I was I was rage at the time because <laughs> you know I I'd, I'd gone in and I'd taken kind of like 10, 10, 12 weeks leave to to go and do this <laughs> two <laughs> weeks later all this cut short I'm coming back I, I bought a lot of new suits and I, was <laughs> all, I was in it for the long haul you know and I remember I remember coming out and I, everything's taken off you like you've no you've no access to your phone or anything in there or laptops and I remember coming out and calling Megan being like she's like I didn't expect to get a call from you today she <laughs> call a week and I was like yeah so it's all over and she's like what she's like I'm literally I'm just landed in Dublin I'm gonna be here for the next three weeks like, yeah. um, I was like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna go get pissed for a few days gonna get this out of my system and then I'll probably come back to Ireland and see you so there's no need to fly back so yeah, I was I was devastated. And then there's the weird thing about it is right, like you leave and you know, you ultimately just get told you're not good enough, like get lost. <clears throat> and then when that happens in, in real life, being rugby, if you're not don't get picked or if you get fired from a job or if you don't win a deal, you kind of just like dust yourself down and you know, do a bit of analysis on it, maybe speak to the people who felt that you weren't good enough and 
and pick yourself up and go again. And, you know, the most successful people are really, really good at that. They have like an inherent bounce back ability. They've had no said to them, I get lost a million other million times, but they just keep persevering with it until um, they get what they want. But then the extraordinary thing about this process is uh, Lord Sugar tells you to get lost <laughs> and you you leave and and then you like you don't get to speak to him you don't get to speak to Karen or Tim you don't get to speak to the people who are working with your team it's just you just there's just this kind of like you're in an ether where it's like well that didn't go well but I've no way of of analyzing what didn't go well kind of left with a no and that's very foreign to everyone but like when I go back to my rugby days one of the things that I was very good at was like so play a game but yeah I'd play a game and if I didn't play well I was very like I'd be in the next day well I'd be in the next day anyways watching the tape over I'd be like I'd be, you know, I'd be into the coaches going how can I get better and um you just don't get that it's just done and you don't get another shot at it and and that's the end of it and actually that you know it didn't go on for too long i was probably upset for four or five weeks um and then you get to the thing you're going this is a tv show it's a game show like who cares nobody cares that like it's just at the end of the day it's just a cool story um to some people to other people don't give a shit and that's absolutely fine <laughs> um but yeah, it just took me a little bit while to kind of get to that stage where I'm like, it's absolutely irrelevant. Like, you've done it, you gave it a crack, you would have regretted it if you didn't do it. Um, and now you just need to move on with life and, and forget about it. And, and just whenever the show airs, which it has now, you know, try and maximize that, which is, you know, get the name of your business out there, which it did. And it's, ended, it's led to a couple of bookings, which has been great. And, couple of conversations with potential investors as well so you know it wasn't it wasn't in vain and um like it like i said in my post on, on linkedin is that like i don't regret giving it a shot you know it definitely wasn't i never intended to finish in second last and it's not something i'm particularly proud of but you can't always have it your own way right you kind of it's all about like you say talking. you're not happy with finishing second last but from the outsider, that's what it is. But as you mentioned, there's about 60,000 people that apply. Like to get on it is a major, major achievement. <clears throat> yeah, 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 I guess so. Yeah, but you're, uh, let's see, I think everyone on there is quite competitive, but you know, everyone that comes from a rugby background as well is very competitive. So you, you certainly wouldn't be shouting about it. But then also, there's elements of it, like, you know, I've gone into a very corporate environment now. Um, and, you know, The Apprentice probably doesn't lend itself amazingly well to that environment. Mm. Um, and I didn't, you know, when I only started working for FIS in December, and um, I was very, very nervous about how it would be portrayed by them, you know. And, you know, when, I, when they found out about it, I'm, they have been very supportive, but probably because you know it was all said and done quite quickly and I didn't offend anyone or do anything completely ludicrous on it so um where I have to gone on the whole way through it like there's just more and more opportunities for you to make a bit of a, a fool of yourself yeah yeah 
It's like because every episode, right? Like I said, these things you're the the, design, the tasks are designed to make a trip up and make good TV because they're just they're almost like impossibly difficult. Like to create a brand new business from scratch in 24 hours, like just always going to be mistakes. So every week, somebody's going to look like someone is going to be presented in a way that they don't want to be presented or, but yeah, so there's all, and then like, you know, you're like, you're in these super pressurized situations where you've got your back up against the wall and you're, you're sleep deprived and you're, you probably say stuff to people that you don't want to say, and you wouldn't normally say in a professional environment, but that can come back to haunt you. And thankfully so, so just on that, were you fully operating off like two hours sleep a night then? Um, no, that was the, that was the, the shortest amount of sleep I had, but the first task on the on the cruise liner was probably not a million miles away from that. You're getting up at like maybe going to sleep around eleven or midnight, and then getting up at at four o'clock, and then like it's just go 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 all day. It's just job to job to job, and you know things that the, a meeting that would typically take a half an hour, you know they've probably got to take three or four cuts of that because it's for TV. Um, and not that it what's been said isn't real or anything it's just they need different angles and some stuff didn't pick up well on the audio <clears throat> they need to read they need to redo it so it, it, the days are just long like really really long and um like i remember the, a lot of the opening shots on the cruise liner like we spent hours just like doing all these walking scenes and it's just like you literally walked off your feet and you're in uncomfortable like formal wear as well so there's just so much there's, yeah it was just a, a massive challenge and you've got to always have your guard up because everything has been recorded <laughs> so uh it's 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 hard what did you make of alan sugar in person <clears throat> you're not there to build that well I, I was in the boardroom three times so the first day uh back for challenge two and then challenge three when i got fired so i i probably only had maybe six six or eight hours face to face with him and yeah he's he's really really good at, at putting you under pressure um and one thing i just learned from him was that well he just like he hate he wants people to be succinct um and if you if you give very long-winded answers, you know you just lose them immediately. So you got to get to the point, which is probably contrary to how I've handled myself tonight. I'm I'm in a tangent. I don't know what you want to do on a podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, no, this, this this is good radio. Yeah, so so yeah, you just got to get to the point. Um, so he but. One thing, I, you know, when I think about it retrospectively, I, I incorrectly assumed that he had more information than he does. Like, you go in there, you've got your, you got probably five minutes to tell them about what you do at the very start. And, and that's pretty much it. And then you go off to do your task and then you come back post-task and you'll probably get two, three minutes to speak about what you did in that task <clears throat> and then and then you come and then the, the set the, the following task the same thing happens and then when you're becoming the fire nine like i was you have a little bit more time to to 
articulate yourself, but <clears throat> he's he's that's all he's got. And he's got a little bit of insight from from Karen and Tim who've been following you around, but he's not watching the tapes of like what's going on. And if I had my time again, you know, I probably would have tried to be a little bit more clear on what went on because he's just going there, right? Well, I've got this guy, these two guys, Aaron and Connor, um, who have both been in leadership roles for this task. And I've got version A here and version B here. And it's kind of like whoever, whatever my gut's telling me is I have to go with. And he's obviously felt that what's version A, what's Aaron's version is the one that worked for him at the time. But then maybe when you watch it back, <laughs> that's not actually how it played out. Um, but anyways, like, 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 like I said earlier, kind of who cares? <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a game show. Um, I, I got to do, I got the t-shirt. Um, don't regret giving it a shot. And probably one of the things that like you would take from it maybe is that like, maybe I should be a little bit more cynical of people from the outset. Like I'm probably a bit overly trusting. Or... Can I ask you who you're backing to win it now? I'll definitely be someone from the girls team. Okay. I'm not sure exactly. Not sure exactly who. I didn't work with them, but whereas when the little bit I saw when I when I did hear the girls speak, they were um, they were quite articulate and to the point. And then when I got to know a few of them in the house, like some of them have some really good businesses up and running already that I'm sure um, are pretty desirable to him to invest in. Last question for you. We always ask people to come on the podcast. Best book you've read or that influenced you? Oof. So when I, when I started out at Detectives, I read a book called The Hard Things About Hard Things. That um, always gets mentioned. From Ben Horwitz. That was yeah. Really good book for being empathetic towards leaders and understanding like, how hard the decisions are they have to make and actually did resonate me resonate with me quite a lot for rugby coaches like you know trying to please 45 guys even though they've only got they can only pick 15 guys in the starting lineup every week and <clears throat> the same thing applies with contracts so that was a brilliant book um really really enjoyed that uh what ones have i read recently um when the world stops watching was one I watched, uh, read recently, and it's a, it's a book about all these different stories about guys, Irish sports stars retiring and how they transitioned into the real world. And it was like it was just there was such a stark contrast between some of the people who've done really really well and transitioned seamlessly, like like Tommy Bow, who's kind of like found his new his new passion really, and he's excelled in it. And then you've got guys like Shane Supple, who used to play professional football, and you know he fell and spiraled into like drink abuse, depression, and it was just everyone, every pretty much every single story in there. There was bits of it that I could relate to, and um, and I think that's that's something that that's what gets you in a book, right? Like. When, when something you're able to apply some of what's been said to yourself um, or else it just gets boring. You're like, what the hell are they talking about? Uh, so there are two ones that I've read recently that you know I really enjoyed and um, I took a lot from. There's another one. 
was recommended to me that I listened to on audio. It's called Psycho Cybernetics. And it's it's heavy reading, like it's a lot about mindset. Um, but when I was going through some long-term injury stuff, I used to just plug it in and get in the walk bike for like an hour at a time. Um, and I loved it. It was really, really good. It was therapeutic almost, but it's been a long time since since I've listened to that, so I might have to get back into it. What's it called again? Psycho Cybernetics, recommended by a friend of mine, Jack O'Byrne, who is is really big on a positive mindset and mental toughness, and this is kind of just like goes through different techniques and uh, different types of things that life throw at you and coping mechanisms. So it was actually really, really, it's a really, really good book, but it, it, it's. It's heavy reading, that's why it's good on audio because the guy's got a, a good voice, he's easy to listen to. And... Um, okay, cool. I think I'm going to wrap it up there.